Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. It can be found on page 922 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. In those Bibles, you find a pen if you need to fill out a contact card. That's where the pens are. And let me just say, as we begin this, that we're beginning a new series of messages that will go through the whole summer, and during which you'll hear from our preaching collective folks, um, and it's, it's, it's all on the Gospel of Mark. Um, and so one faith formation thing you might consider doing, and I'm going to do it just this week, is to read through the whole Gospel of Mark. It's short. It should take you only between 80 and 90 minutes total. Um, unless you go slower, more reflective. So I'm going to try to do that all in this coming week. And uh, I invite you to do that or to space it out and go longer um, as a faith formation thing throughout the summer. So this is day one of the series from the Gospel of Mark. This is God's Word. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, As we come into this time and we look to these words, we come from different places on the spiritual spectrum and we might come with lots of faith. We might come with very very little inclination to question these words and we might come with all sorts of questioning. All we're doing is questioning and doubting. Or we come joyful and others of us come in grief, trouble has hit, trouble has resurfaced, we wonder if we'll even have faith when we come out of what we're in right now and what will life even look like. And we give you sort of just a a little chance to speak into our lives, hoping that maybe you know something that we don't, that you have some power that we don't. Wherever we come from, whether we're exuberant or bored, We're all the same. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit, whether we're feeling it or not. We don't want others to know how broken we are. And the truth is, you've shown us that you move towards broken people with your grace and your love through Jesus, through your Son. And as we hear about that today, we pray that you make it come alive in our lives so that we can apply your grace to our brokenness that we might have life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of disruptions in life. Sometimes if you get a little cynical, you can just think of life as a series of disruptions. 
And um, especially as you go on with time in life, as you realize it's not necessarily your plans, but it's how your plans get disrupted. And sometimes those disruptions are welcome and sometimes they're unwelcome. So a, fam- a, a couple who wants to have children, a baby is a welcome disruption. No doubt about it, it's a disruption, and you maybe don't even realize until time goes on how big of a disruption it is. Um, and I'm sort of the expert on that. You know, come talk to me with four children. That's right, I said four children, for those of you who are new here. Um, and then there's, there's dis- disruptions that are not so welcome. You get a bad report from the doctor, you know, some heavy medical news. You know, we found something on that scan we did, or we found something in those test results. You know, you get, you get these disruptions in life. You can probably think of some. You know, and there's the good disruptions, right? Someone calls you up, you're a homeowner, they call you up, they say, um, we are with your bank, and the government is telling us you're one of the 50,000 people we have to call to give you a better interest rate because you've been adversely affected by banking practices and this is what we now have to do. So we're going to, you know, so now you're going to go through a month of just excruciating paperwork and you say, bring it on. You know, if you're a homeowner, you say, yeah, give me that extra money every month. I'll take it. I'll go through any paperwork you want me to do. I'll go through that disruption. Um, But not so when you get news um, that your position's being cut next year. Say you're a teacher and the funding's not there next year for your spot. So you go into the general pool and you don't know what your job's going to be. Welcome disruptions, unwelcome disruptions. There was uh, an unwelcome negative disruption that was going on that we're introduced to in this story. And it was in a a quaint little church synagogue, it was called, and there was a man in this group of worshipers who apparently was a regular in this community, and he at one point had been um, uh, had some some normalcy to his life, but but he's got now an evil spirit that possesses him, and so he's a, a really an unwelcome disruption amidst this worshiping community. Just imagine, you know, week in and week out, you've got these devout people gathering together, and it's just very disruptive to have this person that you don't know how disruptive they're going to be. It's very unpredictable, and everyone in this community kind of wishes that the problem would just go away. Nobody really has the tools to deal with this man in their community, this this constant disruption. It feels kind of oppressive to the community. It feels um, like just something that's always there. And no one really knows how to deal with this unpredictable man possessed by an evil spirit. Nobody has the tools. So that's a disruption that we're brought into in this little story. A disruptive person, really. Or a disruptive spirit. And the gospel writer Mark, as he's telling this story, he's intent on showing you, as you get that little glimpse in this story... He's intent and has been intent up to this point on showing you that there is a bigger disruption. It's a more well it's in that category of the welcome disruption. And it's it really dwarfs the disruption of this evil spirit in this community. The people in this community felt like this is just a big thing way over their heads. It's a big disruption. They don't have the tools to deal with it. Mark is showing that there's something so much bigger. There's a cosmic disruption happening with the arrival of Jesus. 
the man in this community who was possessed, possessed by an evil spirit was um, a body that had been... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there was a spirit who moved into a body. Mark is showing us up to this point that there's a God who moved into a body. And then those two things are going to come together into one scene, the scene we just read. Mark wants you to see the, just the epic cosmic proportions of this. And so he uses all this lingo to try to really basically mark as he begins this gospel, he wants you to know he has a biased account. He has a, a presuppositions that he's front-loading his story about Jesus with. That Jesus is huge. Jesus is cosmic. Jesus is the Son of God. So he starts out, if you did a quick flyby over chapter 1, really quick, because that's all I have time for, you'd see that he calls him the anointed one, which means uh, it comes out in our translation, Christ, which means he's king. He's, he's a king arriving. The words go on to describe him related to an Old Testament passage that you see in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1. And the passage refers to the one who's coming as Lord, the Old Testament word for God. John the Baptist talked about he's portrayed as like a prophet of the old testament and he says one greater than him is coming and and in old testament lingo that pretty much narrows it down to one option one greater than the prophet the prophet brings the words of god and then um, when jesus arrives then he has this experience that's told it's his baptism and there's a voice from heaven that says this is my son whom i loved in him i am well pleased verse 11 and then in verse 15 as it moves on we read jesus himself kind of just saying his first words and he says the kingdom of god is near which um you'd ordinarily expect him to follow that up with something where he would point to where it is but he doesn't and the implication obvious to mark is the kingdom of God is near. Another way of talking about the kingdom of God is the presence of God himself is bearing down on, on you and on this situation and in your world. See, Mark says there's a cosmic disruption. It's huge. It's, it's jaw-dropping. And let's just stop on Mark's point a second and say, have you grasped this? Let me put it a little more direct. Have you grasped the fact that if you are, if you're, you know, trying to get to know Jesus, trying to explore Jesus, who is Jesus, trying to follow Jesus. If you haven't been stopped in your tracks by the disruption that Jesus has in your life, Mark's view is there's a good chance you haven't really met the real Jesus. Mark's view is you can't see Jesus, you can't meet Jesus, you can't run into Jesus and just go on with business as usual. You can't just kind of casually say, well, now that was interesting. That was fascinating. In fact, life stops. Life as you know it stops. It's that big of a disruption as Mark is setting it up. He refuses to allow you to come out of reading his story about Jesus and just say, so Jesus is one of the options to help me out a little bit in life. Consultant, advisor. No. To go to basically, Mark is showing us to, to take that approach is like if someone, if one of you was following Twitter during my sermon right now, and I, I don't put it past some of you to do this. Um, I don't put it past my sermons to be at times 
you know, not so gripping <laughs> that you might check Twitter. And you're checking Twitter and you see an announcement and it says there's a massive tornado. That's right, a tornado in Sacramento. And it's at the executive airport moving north up Freeport. And you see this and your eyes go wide. And any embarrassment of looking at Twitter during my message kind of fades. And you keep watching. And then three minutes later it says, okay, the tornado has reached McClatchy High School and continues to proceed north. And at that point, you have a decision, a life or death decision to make. And you stand up and you say, hey, everyone, this is what I'm reading on Twitter. There's a tornado coming right up the street. It's going to be here in minutes. Okay, so you just did that. And then I'm here standing, talking. And what if I just said, that is fascinating. What do you know? Right here in Sacramento, a tornado. This is amazing. This this is going to be quite a day. Uh, I never thought, I just, you know, this is, we're going to have a lot to talk about after we see this. And then I said, but, but just sit tight, I've prepared a message, and I'm going to continue, right? Well, you know, I, I lose your respect, I think, I, in the next week, um, even if we were all okay physically, not many of you would come here because you'd say, this guy's nuts. But the other thing is that, you know, you'd probably make your way out of here and, and find a way to you know, stand in a doorway. I don't even know what you do. There's no basement here. Okay, aside. Um, that's what Mark, if I reacted like that, um, that's a good illustration for what Mark would say if you don't kind of just stop in your tracks when you meet Jesus. It's that big of a disruption. It's that huge he wants it to just be obvious that Jesus has this huge impact that you can't just walk away saying, oh, that was interesting. And so if you're, if you're um, exploring Christianity, here's a challenge. Don't stop exploring until you've found Jesus to be a massive disruption in your life. You know, don't say, ah. In a sense, you don't have the legitimacy to say, yeah, I tried the Jesus thing, I, I looked into it, I, I kind of tried that, it didn't work for me. You don't have legitimacy to do that unless you have experienced Jesus as a life-halting disruption in your life. You have to recalibrate everything because God has entered a body and made his presence among us. Now, if you're a Christian... Um, don't, here's the other side of the coin, don't beat yourself up if you don't live in that reality all the time. If you don't constantly feel like, G, like Jesus is, is this massive disruption, I constantly have to be recalibrating my life around him. Um, you might want to live in that kind of, you know, advanced spiritual zone, but it's unrealistic. You know, perhaps be happy if at times you get some sense that Jesus is a massive disruption in your life. Um, you know, I had a great spiritual director at one point who's a pastor of a church in Folsom who's one of our sister churches in the region. And when I kind of was grappling with that issue of longing to be more, you know, or wondering how terrible I should feel about myself if I wasn't constantly feeling the, the, the amazing weight of who Jesus is, he basically said, you know, you know about Star Wars? And, yeah, I know about Star Wars. You know, Yoda, right, he's the guy who's, who can sit across a galaxy and say, hmm, there's a disturbance in the force. 
right? Like from galaxies away. Just, he's just so in touch with reality and spiritual reality, you might call it. And, you know, basically my director was saying, you know, how old is Yoda? He asked me. Does anybody know? How old is Yoda? Come on. Come on, nerds. <laughs> 900, yeah, 900 years old. 900 something. I didn't know the 76. So I hope that's true. That would be awesome. Um, so, and, 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 and basically my director said, you know, Mark, you're not Yoda. You're a Padawan. <laughs> if you know Star Wars, those are the kids. Those are little kids just learning the beginning of the Force, right? There's no way one of the Padawans would sit around and go, ah, you know, I'm constantly sensing whether there's a disturbance in the Force. Don't beat yourself up. Let's move on, though. Sort of the second phase of looking at the story is just looking back at this little worshiping community. You have this devout group of worshipers. There's a demon in residence. And the gospel writer Mark is showing you this suspenseful picture because there's a God in residence. And then we get to verse 24. And if you know that, all the setup I've just done, then verse 24 has you, the hair on the back of your neck, standing up. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says, Be quiet, come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek, which when I was reading that earlier, it didn't, wasn't lost on me that a chair made a shriek noise right when I said that. Perfect. I don't know who did that. Very advanced calibration here. Do you catch what Jesus is doing? Something that is totally out of reach and out of touch and beyond anyone's control, he walks in in his first act of ministry. He's just selected his disciples and they're along with him. His first act of ministry, he dispenses of this disruption uh, in seconds flat in the midst of people who had not even a hint of the tools to deal with it. And their jaws hit the floor. And I love the, how it gets talked about by some of the folks that's recorded here by Mark, where they say, I love this phrase, he even, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. He even. There's a sense that as they watch this happening, there's this unexpected jurisdiction that Jesus seems to have in this world. He seems to have jurisdiction and power and authority in a place where no one had any sense that that could, that anyone had power, let alone this carpenter's son from Nazareth. I want you to think about the parallel in your own life. He even. You know, what, what would be really surprising and astonishing to you if it turned out that part of your life and your world was in God's hands. That that was his jurisdiction. That he had it handled. He even has my unemployment figured out. He even knows that my marriage is in the brink and knows what's going on with that, kind of knows where that's going. He has my financial future in his hands. He even might be the one who will make me feel 
peace, inner peace for the first time in my whole life. He even knows about that thing I'm hiding from everyone else. And still even is gracious to me. He even is patient with my doubts. You know, fill in the blank. He even heals... uh, He even heals physical ailments. He even uh, has my my longing for a spouse under control. He even knows how to deal with my gossip problem. He knows he even can help me through my addiction. He even can help me with my loneliness. It's his jurisdiction. You know, part of being a Christian, probably the most important part of walking, once you kind of pass through that decision point of faith and you experience baptism and you try to figure out what it is to be a Christian, there's this quaint phrase that you might have heard called the Lordship of Christ. And it's a phrase that I I really like, even though it's not quite as contemporary and used as much, but the Lordship of Christ is sort of a motto for living the Christian life. Uh, Basically, all of my life becomes the jurisdiction of Jesus. It's an impossible ideal, but it's nonetheless the path that a Christian says they are on and continually reroutes, you know, like the GPS is saying, now turn a left and go back and find that route again. Um, The route where Jesus has jurisdiction over every area of my life. He even, in a sense, I'm even going to let him in to that area of my life. How do you do that? Most of us have walls up and barriers up to that uh, in some of the most important parts of our life. How did the walls come down? Well, the story of the gospel that Mark is telling is how the walls come down. Because Jesus isn't done um, disrupting things when he, when he comes into a body and begins his ministry. Because he makes it all the way to the end. And this one who, who Mark keeps showing is the king, the king. He's the king. In the end, the king, the massive disruption is the king is disrupted when a, his crown is a crown of thorns. <laughs> and those who he came for to be their king, their loving, benevolent king, uh, put him on the cross. And there's a cosmic disruption again when the son is disrupted from the father and that eternal unity and love and connectedness that they have is allowed to be broken. Why? Why is that disruption allowed? Mark wants you to know that it's allowed so that you can know that you're permanently ushered in to the embrace of that father, that you're continually ushered into that palace of the king. You're welcome there. There's a chair, or even in some biblical language, you're an heir to the king. There's a throne for you in the presence of God. And it has nothing to do with anything you've done because the son allowed the disruption of the crown of thorns and the cross and death. Now, you need, Mark needs you to, you need to know that if you're going to grasp the disruption of Jesus into your life. If you're even going to allow and trust Jesus to have jurisdiction in all these places that are involved in the Lordship of Christ, you need to know how much he's given for you. You need to know how trustworthy he is. You need to know that you live permanently in God's embrace. Then the walls will start to come down. 
There's basically three possible responses to this story, and they're built into the story. I love it. Because the first point, the first response is sort of an awkward one. Because the evil spirit actually gets it right in the story. The evil spirit is the one that you kind of say, now there's the best response to Jesus. So today we're going to learn from an evil spirit how to respond to Jesus. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is exactly how it goes. The first response is the evil spirit. And he's, he just calls it like it is. What do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? He knows Jesus is a disruption. <laughs> I can't run into Jesus, can't be in the same room with him without my, my whole existence being disrupted. And then he also knows who he is. He knows the nature of this disruption. You are the Holy One of God. It's, it's amazing. He just comes right out with it. Um, so he's, you know, the first type of person. The second person in here is, um, is the, the people who say, he even. You know, they say, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits. The interesting thing about that is that's a, actually a pretty hands-off response to Jesus. And let me just use that as a picture of our com- a common response I see. So in church, in ministry, you know, you'll see people in church, and every church has some of each. You have some who come in, and they, they come confrontational, and they say, okay, so Jesus is this, and I've got to figure it out, and throw all your Jesus at me, and I'll decide, you know, what to do. You've got to approach this, attack it, figure out, is it going to be this or that? It's going to have some implications. Let's get to work. In some ways, that's a great person as a minister to work with. You're, okay, you're ready. You know this is going to be a disruption. Let's, let's talk. The second one, you have this in church as well, which is, oh, isn't that fascinating? You know, it's like me up here with a tornado coming. Isn't that great? Let's go out to lunch and talk about that tornado, right? Um, it, it's this hands-off response. He even can do that stuff over there. And what's, what, is, what are you not allowing him to do anything over here? That's the toughest nut to crack, in a sense, um, if that's your approach to Jesus. So there's a third one. And I think there's a lot of grace in this third one. It's totally absent in the story. You say, Mark, where are you getting this third group of people from? Right before this passage, Jesus calls and selects some of his disciples. And we read the word they... <laughs> Jesus went into the, let's see, they went to Capernaum. Um, Jesus goes into the synagogue. Implicitly, these disciples are right with him. His, he's just selected his protégés. They're with him as he does this, as he has this encounter. And we don't hear anything about them. We don't, we, they're silent. There's a sense in which they're in it. They know they're in it for the long haul. They feel connected. They feel drawn. They feel committed somehow. But they don't have this figured out. They don't have any sense of the disruption that Jesus is going to be in their life. They can't see it. There's no way for them to see it. The only thing they're able to do, the only legitimate, authentic thing they're able to do is just hang around. Just hang in there with Jesus. And that's what they end up doing. They end up spending you know, a few years with him. Coming out the other side of it, they're the most transformed people. Next to someone like the man with the evil spirit, he was transformed immediately so in a sense take your pick do you want to come in guns blazing let's go let's get to work who are you jesus what is it going to mean for my life transformation will come pretty quickly if that's your approach but lots and lots of grace if all you can seem to do is just hang in there 
and millimeter by millimeter figure out who is Jesus, what are the disruptions this is going to mean for my life. Incrementally making micro decisions to have Jesus be the king, to Jesus be the disruption, Jesus be the one who has little by little more jurisdiction in your life. Let's pray that God helps us with that. God of grace, we lift up our own spiritual journeys asking that you would help us. We don't like our lives disrupted. We don't like our lives to be disturbed. And you are so loving. You're the loving disruptor. So we ask that you lovingly disrupt us individually and as a church. That we might be transformed, some of us quickly, miraculously, like the man in the synagogue, and probably more likely most of us, slowly, incrementally, like the protégés you chose to lead your movement. We ask that your Holy Spirit help us do this and uh, help us to know and to sense your jurisdiction through the small acts we do, even as we move towards your table and experience the Feast of Communion in a few minutes. Join us there. Disrupt our equilibrium in a welcome and good way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.